Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And I'm Dirk Christensen. Welcome to it and all of the information that comes along with it here in the next couple of hours. We have news and ag information, business, sports, you name it, we've got it. We've even uh, pulled a couple of Band-Aids off old wounds here in the pre-session <laughs> just before we got to just before we opened up the round table today. And, Bob, we're not going to talk about it. No, we're not going to talk <laughs> about it. Very good. Does that mean Bob's old, since he's got old wounds? Uh, no, I don't think it means that. He's just a veteran. We'll uh, call him a wily veteran. He's just hunkering All down we here. can hear is well, the breathing. there are lots of wounds <laughs> over the years. Yeah. But there's also been a lot of good times. All right. <laughs> Very good. Enough said. Spoken like a true politician. Yeah, we'll put the rest online for you to pick up later. Uh, here, <laughs> here on the Midday Roundtable, we start off with Joe Gangbus. <laughs> well, ag groups are looking for an increase in truck weight limits. We'll touch on that in Ag News at 12.13. Also, a new residence hall on the East Campus at the University of Nebraska. It'll be named after a distinguished university person and famous nebraskan the, they're tearing down the residence halls that i stayed in when i oh. was on east campus so lots of memories will be Goodness. done away with in the name of progress that's a shame but the new ones will be very nice we'll talk about that also as well also as you guys have heard the national news has picked this up certainly as well the tragic day in cambria wisconsin where a corn milling and ethanol plant exploded very early this morning we'll talk about that as well at 12:19, dewey nelson with dean hefta of water street solutions they will tackle today's commodity trade and try to find some answers for you on why the markets are performing the way they are. That'll be at 12.19. Newsmaker segment today. Uh, Susan has an interesting one for us. A NASA employee in Washington and also an auctioneer, they helped put together a fundraiser for Kansas Fire Relief for Clark County, Kansas. They raised over $87,000 for those folks down there. So that was uh, certainly a good cause. And then Shaley wraps up with our 117, the Loop Valley Horse Conference. Uh, They will kick off their 2017 show series this weekend. She visits with Sherry Sawinski. She's the conference president over there, and she will have an update for us. Thanks, Joe. And over to sports we go with Jason Jorgensen. A handful of uh, former Huskers and a couple of K-State Wildcats are up, possibly for induction, into the College Football Hall of Fame. One of them is Eric Crouch. Now, how is Eric Crouch not a member of the College Football Hall of Fame? This is the seventh year he's been up. The yeah. dude won a Heisman. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of hard to fathom, isn't it? I mean, he he won a Heisman. Yeah, but uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe, maybe they're this thinking, is... hey, Superman gets everything. Hmm. Why he he meant a lot to the Husker football yeah, program. Absolutely. That's for sure. And I'm sure someday he will go in, but he's not in yet. Also, Hastings College has a new uh, wrestling coach, Tyson Springer. He had spent time earlier rejuvenating the program at Doan, and it finally starts tonight. The NBA Finals. We'll see if it finishes up before the 4th of July as the Cavaliers take on the Warriors. We will see. They had to take a week off so the teams could rest. And no excuses. No excuses. Don't they rest when they play defense? <laughs> Good point. But this is a playoff, so it's different. Every possession matters, Joe. Let's save your opinions for later. All right. Bob Brogan's over here, and I think the Unguentine is kicking in. Stock stocks are gaining. Private businesses added 253,000 jobs. That's a good thing. Jobless claims rise. That's not a good thing. Construction spending falls. So those are some of the stories we're 
keeping an eye on right now. Unguentine is what we use for burns around here. <laughs> it's all coming up today on Midday. <laughs> Paul Perkins is in. We have our regional ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Looks like some people may not need to turn on the irrigation for a little bit here. They know uh, they had 2.9 inches of rain last night, and that was since midnight just south of Glenville, which is near the Hastings area, and a lot of that coming in a half-hour period between about 12.15 and 12.45, but nearly three inches of rain south of Glenville last night. A lot of areas experiencing about three-quarters of an inch of rain, but a lot of other areas not getting very much at all with this last system. Very spotty stuff, huh? Exactly, yeah. And there still is some spotty shower and thunderstorm activity now over eastern Kansas from about Marysville down in Manhattan to just south of Abilene, back to around the Concordia area, but nothing in the way of too strong of activity. Some temperatures today will be warmer with some sunshine as the warm front lifts north through the region. A few thunderstorms possible later today to the north of that front, mainly across northeast Nebraska. A ridge of high pressure will keep it mostly dry and warm for today through much of tomorrow. A weak disturbance tonight could trigger some thunderstorms into western areas. Thunderstorms possible late in the day tomorrow on into early Saturday with the passage of a front. A few of those storms could be strong or severe, but not expecting a big severe outbreak. Just the normal, it could get stronger or severe this time of year. Maybe some gusty winds, heavy rain, and some small hail, but not expecting a big severe outbreak for tomorrow. High pressure builds behind that front. That'll keep most of the weekend dry. Temperatures remaining warmer than normal. That front, not really a cold front, just a front to kind of stir things up for late in the day tomorrow. Thunderstorm chances are back in the forecast for the early to middle part of next week as that high-pressure ridge starts to break down, but still some uncertainties as to how much rain we could see early next week. In our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas are forecast to start out cooler than normal the middle part of next week. Then we will start to trend near normal to warmer than normal next weekend through the 14th. Above normal precipitation is expected in Nebraska and Kansas the mid part of next week. Precipitation then close, trends closer to normal late next week through the 14th. It continues to look good in Nebraska and Kansas on the latest regional drought monitor. No areas experiencing right now dry or drought conditions. Weather factors in the market today include lighter rain across the Midwest through the weekend and a developing dry pattern in the northern plains. Warm western and central regions of the nation will experience a steady warming trend. Much of the eastern U.S., though, looks to remain cooler than average. Mostly light rain will return across the eastern U.S., a little rain expected across the northern high plains. The lighter rain across the Midwest this next week will offer improvement in fuel conditions for late planting and crop development, progress in crop conditions, especially behind and below average in states like Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. Dry conditions are becoming a concern in portions of the northern plains. Montana recorded its driest spring since 2001. All of North Dakota, the northern half of South Dakota, and eastern Montana either abnormally dry or in moderate drought right now. That's, of course, a big switch from this winter in North Dakota. That's where they experienced a record amount of snow for them. And um, cool and wet conditions across the southern plains look to be unfavorable for the winter wheat that's in the maturing stage. Concerns still remain for increased disease issues, lower crop quality, and lower protein. Several periods of rain in the Canadian prairies the next five days will benefit the developing crops across the central and east, but 
also caused some delay to field work across the western Canadian prairies. Now, they're also beginning to talk about some of the upstream releases out of Wyoming, and uh, they're putting some flood advisories out here on the plant again. Yep. Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of extra water up the stream, so yeah, we'll probably start seeing some issues with that. All right, that first of those flood advisories has been put into effect for Garden and Keith Counties. This uh, ag weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. You can get more information, of course, at uh, HoldridgeIrrigation.com. And when you need weather anytime, KRBN.com. Here's an update of Ag News. I'm Joe Gangwish on the Rural Radio Network. A nonprofit representing ranchers with Nebraska feedlots has requested a federal judge rule that the Nebraska Brand Act unconstitutional and prevent the state from enforcing it. The Nebraska Beef Producers Committee filed a lawsuit against the Nebraska Brand Committee and Executive Director Bill Bunce in U.S. District Court on Tuesday. The Brand Committee record, uh, records uh, ranchers' brands, inspects cattle to verify ownership, and also investigates missing livestock and cattle rustling. Now, the uh, Brand Act requires cattle being moved outside a designated brand area or sold within it be inspected. Catherine Spohn, attorney for the producers filing the suit, said the evolution of the cattle industry has made the act ineffectual. Brazilian meatpacking giant JBS has agreed to pay a fine of more than $3 billion for its role in a corruption scheme involving pension funds. The federal prosecutor's office says the agreement was reached uh, this week and that the fine will be paid over 25 years. JBS executive Josely Batista is at the center of the political crisis engulfing President Michael Temer. In a secret recording Batista made in March, Temer appears to be condoning the payment of hush money to the imprisoned former Speaker of the House, Eduardo Cunha. A recording and the revelation of kickbacks to more than 1,800 politicians are part of the plea bargain signed by Batista and his brother Wesley, also a top executive there at JBS. The new residence hall nearing completion on the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's East Campus will carry the name of Martin Massengale, President and Chancellor Emeritus and Founding Director of the Center for Grassland Studies and Foundation Distinguished Professor. The Massengale Residential Center will be home to students beginning this fall and the University of Nebraska Board of Regents. They will consider approval of naming it at their June 1st meeting. Massengale is transitioning into retirement after more than four decades at the university. He first came to Nebraska in 1976 as vice chancellor of the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources and became Nebraska's 16th chancellor in 1981, a post he held for 10 years. Massengale was both interim president of the University of Nebraska system and chancellor at Nebraska from August of 89 until his permanent appointment as president in 1991. Well, the Loop Valley Horse Conference, they will kick off their 2017 show series coming up this weekend. Let's get more on that from Shaylee Peters. With a series that includes six shows throughout the summer and a variety of classes to compete in, conference president Sherry Savinsky says everyone is welcome. Any youth that is currently enrolled in the 4-H Horse Project in the state of Nebraska is eligible to participate in this series. They just come, take a show. If they want to start with the very first one, they just come, they'll find... Uh, a liability waiver and we'll give them uh, a, a sheet of the rules. They will get to just come and participate. They can come sign up that day, pay, uh, pay a small membership fee to the conference, and then it's just $3 per class. 
and they can pick however many classes that they want to compete in. The first show is this Sunday, June 4th, at the Bartlett Wheeler County Fairgrounds. And for more information, you can visit loopvalleyhorseconference.org. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. And a coalition of ag groups have asked Congress to include language in an appropriations bill to allow 10 states to increase commercial truck weight limits. The coalition is asking Congress to allow the states to engage in a pilot program to obtain information on the safety and environmental benefits of increasing the maximum commercial truck weight on interstate highways. In the letter, the coalition noted it's been 35 years since the government last updated gross vehicle weight limits of 80,000 pounds on federal interstate highways. This is the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we are experiencing uh, corn down three to three and three quarter cents. The wheat trade five cents lower in Chicago. Kansas City wheat down four and a half, and soybeans down one. With us, Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions. Dean, can you give us information about the markets today? Yeah, you know, it's the the corn market continues its back and forth and its uh, whipsaw trade as buyers and sellers continue to be content with their expectations on a carryout standpoint. We got, uh, you know, our first crop condition ratings out this week, uh, especially in the east that came in uh, below expectations. But the market is still wrestling with how much impact is that really the, the early crop condition is going to have on the final yield. I would say driving around in the east, you know, one of the concerns would be not only nitrogen because of the wetness and the rain that they've had, but stand uh, stand count. Uh, some pretty poor stands, um, areas that if weather would have cooperated, they would have, have replanted, but the, the calendar is working against them. So stand is not great, uh, but right now the market's dealing with the funds holding their short positions and uh, trying to figure out what summer weather going to look like. Maybe that's a sign of things to come, that this corn market might have some underlying strength once that we see uh, the chance for replanting, or should I say the absence of replanting and prevented acres? Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be watching for that good to excellent rating as we progress into summer. And uh, you're also looking for, you know, uh, ethanol production is still pretty good. we got numbers out today. Uh, demand is not a problem. Our acres are going to be down. We'll get more specifics on that at the end of June. Um, and it's, it really comes down to, you know, what's July weather going to be like? And I think this delayed crop development is pushing pollination back into an area that maybe if we heat up and dry out, uh, there is some dryness developing in the north, northern plains. You know, does that expand further? So I think we've got plenty of uncertainty ahead of us, and the opportunity continues to be can we scare the funds into short covering to give us, you know, some opportunities in that upper end of the range? More of that four dollar, four fifteen, four twenty December corn. Corn market needs a jolt. We've been in this trading range for quite some time, and apparently, we might continue that in that sideways pattern for another couple of weeks. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Everybody now has has figured out you sell the rally and buy the break. And eventually, once the market figures that out, it's coiled up a lot of energy in it, and it makes those traders wrong. And so it could be interesting with the amount of coiling we've done. We've traded in a essentially a 15-cent range for a couple of months now, and eventually that breakout can be startling for people. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to need uh, June, July weather. You have mentioned the 
prospective dryness in the northern plains, and that's spring wheat country. And maybe that's why we see Minneapolis wheat futures gaining considerably on Chicago and Kansas City. Yeah, it, you know, the wheat market has generally been about quality, and Minneapolis is the highest quality. And now with the, you know, reduced wheat acres, but expanded dryness in the north, all the way into Canada, that does become the concern uh, as far as supply of high-quality milling wheat. Our thanks to Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions. Go to waterstreet.org or call Water Street Solutions at 866-249-2528. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, three Nebraska football greats are among 75 players from football bowl subdivision teams announced as finalists for the National Football Foundation and College Hall of Fame. Huskers on this year's ballot for induction into the Hall of Fame include Heisman-winning quarterback Eric Crouch and a pair of Outland Trophy-winning offensive linemen in Aaron Taylor and Zach Wiegert. Now, former K-State greats Michael Bishop and Martin Gramatica are also on the list. One of the most dynamic players in program history, Bishop played a major role in propelling the Wildcats to their first-ever number 1 national ranking during the second of his two seasons at K-State in 1998, while Gramatica did the same while setting NCAA kicking records and earning two All-American honors. Tyson Springer has been hired as a head coach for wrestling at Hastings College. Springer recently finished his second year as assistant wrestling coach at North Idaho Junior College, and prior to that, he spent two years at Doan, where he restarted that program back in 2013. Springer also was an outstanding wrestler during his time at Dickinson State. While competing for the Blue Hawks, Springer claimed the NAIA national title at 165 pounds in 2005 and runner-up honors in 2006. The Cavaliers and Warriors showdown. Everybody's been predicting for the last 11 months starts tonight as Golden State hosts the defending champion Cleveland Cavaliers in Game 1. It's first time in league history the same teams have faced off in the finals three years in a row. Of course, last year the Cavs came back to win the series after it looked like they were just about beaten. And Warriors star Stephen Curry hopes for a better outcome this summer. I don't want to feel like what I felt last year. And I'm going to do everything in my power to... to uh, you know, attack every game with that kind of perspective. This series features 11 players who've been named All-Stars in their careers, including seven this past year. The only other time a finals matchup featured 11 former All-Stars came in 1983 when Philadelphia swept the L.A. Lakers. Angels slugger Albert Pujols gets his next shot at home run number 600 when the Twins arrive at Anaheim. Pujols had a single and four Pujols had a single and four bats yesterday against Atlanta, remaining at 599 homers. And White Sox broadcaster Ken Hawk Harrelson says he will retire after working 20 games next year in his 34th season in the booth. Harrelson, known for his sayings like "You can put it on the board" when the White Sox hit a home run, or "Can of corn," or "He gone" when someone strikes out, will work primarily Sunday home games next year. After he finishes up his TV duties, the 75-year-old will serve as a team ambassador for the 2000. 2019 season. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. For the rest of today, we'll be mostly sunny. Highs in the mid 80s, a little breezy with gusts around 20 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, lows around 60. I'm Ellen Laird. 
Lincoln and Lancaster County leaders have announced funding plans for the local share of a $300 million beltway project south of the capital city. The plan announced Wednesday commits local governments to repay their $50 million contribution over the next 16 months, saving then $10 million of what would have been $60 million, 20% of the total cost. The payment lets the state immediately move forward, avoiding construction cost inflation. The Nebraska Kidney Foundation is having a walk in Kearney on Sunday at Yanni Park. Organizer Lisa Sincel talks about the day. We have several teams that walk in honor of patients, and we have several teams that walk in memories of loved ones that have gone. By doing this, we kind of spread the word about kidney disease. We bring family members together, and it's really just a fun family day. We have a barbecue afterward, and we have a memorial tribute video. We have clowns and balloons and just all kinds of fun stuff. Registration begins at noon with the walk beginning at 1 on Sunday in Kearney's Yanni Park. For more information, you can go to kidneyne.org or call Lisa at 308-830-2121. Omaha police have found the body of a homicide victim about a mile north of downtown. Officers were sent to the area around 9.30 p.m. Wednesday to check reports of screaming and of people drinking outdoors near a homeless encampment. The victim's name hasn't been released and no arrests have been reported. Results from a monthly survey of business supply managers show a slight decline in the economic conditions in nine Midwest and Plains states. The Mid-American Business Conditions Index report released Thursday says the regional economic index dropped to 55.5 in May from 61.4 in April. Survey organizers say any score above 50 suggests growth. A score below that suggests decline. The survey covers Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. A three-judge panel has sentenced Nico Jenkins, a man convicted of killing four people in Omaha, to death. Douglas County Attorney Don Klein following Tuesday's ruling. Rest assured that Nico Jenkins will never be able to hurt anybody again on the outside. Valita Glasgow, the mother of one of the victims, says she never wants to hear Jenkins' name again. Jenkins will be the 11th man on death row, but it could be years before he's executed, if ever. Whether you miss the game or need to replay that on-air interview, catch up with a podcast under audio-video at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Ellen Laird. Help coming from all the way across the country. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Ronnie Farrell is from St. Mary's County. It's the southern part of Maryland. He also works for NASA. I had the opportunity to meet him while I was in Washington, D.C. last week because he and a group of folks came together for Kansas ranchers and fire relief. Well, at first we didn't know much about it. I hadn't even heard the story about it. And um, I had worked a small benefit auction for Prince George's County Farm Bureau, which is one of the five Southern Maryland counties. And the young farmers there, part of the proceeds they made for selling some of the items that night went to this, for the wildfire benefit auction. And then I started speaking, after that auction was over, I talked to um, some other folks in St. Mary's and they had heard a little bit about it. Um, Brian Russell from St. Mary's, and actually it was his nephew from Charles County, they were talking about it too, and they um, wanted to find out more information about it. So when I told them I had done this auction, we started looking at the internet and getting some of the news stories, and just one thing led to, to another, and we realized how devastating these fires were, and no one had heard it on 
radio or TV. And um, I had done an auction for a lady who lived in Wichita, but she had actually come to St. Mary's, my county, and I was working to clean out an estate for her. And when I heard about this, I happened to call her, and it was near her, the Clark County, where the the biggest devastation was, was so she was familiar with it. So she kind of led me to this particular area. And then uh, I spoke with um, an auctioneer that I knew that sells purebred cattle, and he knew about this area too. So then we started focusing our efforts to Clark County, Kansas, and um, that's kind of where we led towards. We knew there was four or five, four, four states that were impacted by the fires, but this one particular area really hit part with us because it was so much devastation and you know so much destruction with cattle and, and the farmland. So how did you guys go about putting together this fundraiser? Um, we really didn't have a plan. It, it was one of those things where we just started um, just moving forward and what we said at the very beginning there was no wrong answer. We're just going to give it our best effort and um, David and Brian thought well what can we do and because I do auctions I thought well let's just try a benefit type of auction and so at the very beginning we just said everything would be donated even the food we would um, serve like hamburgers and hot dogs it was a fresh hamburger that the local farmers had had um, well at first it was going to be what they had raised but then the uh, facility that processes their beef he actually donated 800 pounds of hamburger for the event so we didn't have any expense with that and we didn't charge for the food we just put buckets out and we had thought about that at the very beginning so when we first started we um we spoke with um the folks at ashton community foundation and um we asked very hard questions we wanted to make sure that it was 100 percent nonprofit, um that they didn't take out any administrative costs which they did not and um they just really had the right capability to get the funds to the, directly to the people that needed it and what i liked about it is that they had two different scenarios. Um, one was for funds where people lost their homes and the other one was for farmers and ranchers because as they said it was hard for her to apply the same criteria to those two different entities in a fair and equitable manner so I, we kind of like that. Um, it could help both residential and farmers and ranchers. What type of turnout did you have for the event? When we first started we didn't know what to expect. We didn't even know how much food to make. We, you know, we thought if we get a hundred people that would be great. Um, we're thinking we had between five and 600 people. Um, the event started at five o'clock in the evening. Uh, we had the doors open at, at three. Um, the auction started at five, and I think we were done by about 10.30. And um, so there's some, some folks think there might have been more than 600 people at the very beginning if people were coming and going, but we know it was at least 500. Blew you away, I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely. We had, um, um, each of the five Southern Maryland counties in Maryland, um, they had donated $500 up front when we went to brief them. And as soon as we briefed them, we were having calls the next day because they didn't know about it either. And people were calling back the next day just said we had no idea. And they were all on board. So that kind of helped us get it up and running. And we sold about 300 items that night. Um, we did a few games and horse race games and auctioned those off. And we did um, one particular um auction that's called fund to need where we were just asking for donations we started at the thousand dollar level then we went to 500 250 um 150 and then 25 and that alone bought almost eleven thousand dollars in for people and there weren't you know this wasn't an organ this wasn't an event where there was a lot of 
you know, rich people there or big business folks. These were just rural country folks from the Southern Maryland areas and beyond. We had some people from Delaware and western part of the state, too, that showed up, and they were just, the level of giving in that room that night was just unbelievable. It warms your heart, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, it was fun. It was exciting. It was emotional. I mean, there was tears. Um, we showed videos. They had shared us some videos um, from the area of the devastation. So we kicked off the night with that. And then we showed um, another one about halfway through the event so people could really see the devastation from those areas. The check being sent tomorrow for over $87,000. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, and we're joined by Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. We had a big cash cattle report this morning, and that probably was the big catalyst for these limit-up moves today. Yes, it was. Uh, you get uh, cattle trading at uh, substantially higher prices than last week, and that, uh, that uh, with the discounts that the uh, futures hold and the live cattle, no doubt, uh, limit-up in the first three months and uh, sharply higher than the rest. So it doesn't, it, I guess it, I would have to say it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that uh, uh, we're going to see some buying uh, to try and uh, close the gap between uh, cash and futures. So uh, feeders also uh, responding, a little help from a uh, little lower corn prices, not uh, anything real significant there, but uh, got some three limit up days in the first three months of the uh, feeders also. So volatility still alive and well living in the cattle uh, market so i don't think it's going to go away anytime soon and uh, uh, i would suspect we're going to see more days like uh, today uh, ahead of us over in the hogs uh, a little bit more benign uh, uh, we did finish a dollar lower in the june contract cash seemed to be a little bit softer today Plus, the uh, index is still, uh, we're still premium, pretty good premium uh, with the June contract. So, uh, so some profit taking, I think uh, some bear spreading uh, also taking place uh, as the back end uh, a little bit higher. I think that'd be unwinding of some uh, earlier spreads that were put on, bull spreads were put on. So, another day where cattle higher and hogs uh, seem to be lower. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. I'm Dewey Nelson. Coming up here just around the corner is the 2017 show series for the Loop Valley 4-H Conference. It'll kick off here this coming Sunday, and here to visit with us all about that is Sherry Savinsky. And Sherry is the Loop Valley Horse Conference president this year. And Sherry, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about this year's show series? Well, we have a total of six shows that will be in the series this year. As you mentioned, the first one starts this Sunday, June 4th. That will be up at Bartlett. Uh, then the second one is June 11th at St. Paul. Third one is June 18th at Loop City. The fourth one is June 25th at Albion. And the fifth one is July 9th at Orr. Now, these first five shows are all strictly 4-H, but any Nebraska 4-H youth who is enrolled in the course project may come and participate in these shows. We do have a sixth show that will be held in Central City on September 17th, and that is our open scholarship show. Anyone who would like to can come and participate in that show, and all the proceeds from that show go to support the Loop Valley 
4-H Horse Conference scholarship program that we award to um, our youth every year, our graduating seniors, our freshmen in college. Uh, the Loop Valley uh, Conference has been around for many years, 40 plus years, um, and it's a great way for youth to get out and show their horses, get some practice time in the arena, and get some feedback from the judges. Uh, to help them prep for districts and the state 4-H horse show. And this really includes all ages involved with 4-H from the ones that are just starting all the way up to those that have been in it a long time. Absolutely, absolutely. Any any youth that is currently enrolled in the 4-H horse project in the state of Nebraska is eligible to participate in this series. They just come, pick a show. If they want to start with the very first one, they just come, they'll find uh, a liability waiver and we'll give them uh, a, a sheet of the rules they will get to just come and participate and join our our association here and and go out and show and have a chance to earn some great prizes along the way and this year we are again giving away our high point awards for our champion and reserve youth in both in all three age divisions we have uh, junior intermediate and senior and this year we are giving away saddles to our high point winners um, along with a photo sitting for them with their horse from Faze Met Photography over at Chapman, Nebraska. She's graciously donated uh, those photo sittings. Um, reserve champion, uh, they will receive custom belt buckles. And Faze Met again has donated uh, gift certificates to those winners to go toward a photo sitting that they can have done with their horse. And then we have many other great prizes, like I said, that they can win along the way. Everything from horse feed to horse tack to um, Lee and Kelly Bennett of Annabrog, Nebraska, graciously are donating gift certificates for uh, writing lessons that the kids can win as they go along so they can get some other help that way. Our Farm Credit Services is another great sponsor who has chimed in and, and helping us get the saddles. Uh, trotters, you know, just many, many sponsors who are, have stepped up to the plate to really help us bring this conference and rebuild it. All right, so a great event for kids to get involved with throughout their summer and definitely some incentive to get involved with. Again, for more information on this, you can visit ruralradio.com or loopvalleyhorseconference.org. Thank you, Sherry. Sherry Savinsky, she's president of the Loop Valley Horse Conference, visiting with us today about their 2017 show series that kicks off this Sunday. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with uh, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Here might be that we saw at least a, a close that uh, wasn't on the lows of the day, John. No, corn actually I think performed pretty well as did the wheat markets uh, came back. We had rebalancing starting today for uh, for a lot of the indexes, and I think that was probably what, what was pushing everything down this morning. Volume was pretty low and, and didn't really think uh, the news flow supported it. Actually, one of the few news items today was Russia, and Russia's crop size, uh, entire crop size, is going to be about 10% less than they thought it was going to be a couple of months ago. So they are on the retreat uh, as their crops look to be getting smaller, and they're entering kind of a critical time for the wheat, obviously, with... Uh, uh, the harvest they harvest a little later than we do, um, so I think maybe more like mid July. But I would look for uh, 
you know, maybe some volatility here in the wheat markets possibly. Again, a targeting kind of a 460 area for me as far as sales go, and I think uh, the price action today maybe supports another run-up at least to 440. Well, we have another premium built in with spring wheat gaining a, a, a good chunk on the, the uh, winter wheat. Let's look at oats. And because of that, we saw a, a probably a high of, oh, 11-month high in oats today. Yeah, we did. That and the Minneapolis contracts both uh, really outperforming here. I'm not sure if it's just a fundamental oats story or if it's kind of that leading indicator oats is pointing towards us. But that, that's something I like to see when I look up and I see oats trading on the ties. Um, you know, I, I at least feel like we're somewhat supported in the short run that, you know, this thing isn't going to fall apart. Uh, in fact, on the corn side, I mean, the, the, the kind of time of trade has been to buy the clothes on Thursday and sell the clothes on Friday. And, uh, you know, be maybe some evidence here that, uh, you know, we got some buyers coming in right here before the break uh, that uh, that could happen again. So, again, I, I may see this thing running up to 380 one more time. Not super optimistic. We're going to get a ton of push uh, before the July delivery, just given that the basis appears to be getting wider uh, along the rivers. And then uh, we're going to lose exports here as Brazil's prices are well, well below where we're offering. But, uh, again, it's, it's about production. And I think uh, the value of the new crop is going to be – I'm sorry, the value of the old crop is going to be relative to what we think the new crop production would be. At this point, I think it's still, you know, right around trend. I think to come off that at this point is probably a little misguided. Thanks for the information, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. One thing to note as we continue in this trading range, it seems like the traders buy the dips and sell the rallies in corn, so we continue in that 20-cent trading range like we've been for the past few months. Again, go to DanielsAgMarketing.com, get more information. Dewey Nelson reporting. Market news and commentary presented by Central Valley Irrigation. See the sales team in Holdridge, Lexington, and Kearney.